Take your Bibles tonight. Join me, please, in Esther chapter number 3. Our Wednesday night series is through this book. In our first three weeks in this chapter, we have been introduced to Haman the Agagite. And we considered his likely connection to the Amalekites, who God commanded Saul to utterly destroy. But since he failed to obey God, Saul's descendant in Mordecai is now being threatened by Agag's descendant in Haman. If this is the proper interpretation, it sure is a strong reminder for us to take heed how we live our life and obey God because it can have a big impact on the generations to come. And that's both good and bad. And so if we obey and we do right, we are setting our children up for uh, success. They may rebel, but we are doing our part. Amen? Amen. And if we do evil, we're certainly not helping them any. So uh, just, a, just a reminder there. Then we saw how Mordecai had finally revealed his identity in being a Jew. He had kept this a secret up until now. But now that he's refusing to bow before Haman, he cites the reason for not bowing as him being a Jew. He will not bow. He will not reverence Haman. And so the question was, are you concealing your Christianity? Or are you confessing who you are in Christ? As children of God, uh, we are not to pick and choose when we are going to stand for God. We are to be Christians 24-7, be all in for God. Uh, We are to stand for God, and we are also to live for God. Sometimes, in our, especially for me, my testimony, when I was young in Christ, I was willing to make a stand, but I wasn't willing to live for God. That's a problem. <laughs> and so sometimes when we, when we do this, it's going to require us to transgress the King's commandment, as we'll see in our text and have seen. But what we do um, ought to please God more than man. Last time, we considered Haman's wrath and pride. It wasn't enough for Haman to have Mordecai killed, but he now wants all the Jews killed because Mordecai, uh, his identity has been revealed as a Jew. And this reaction is so disproportionate to what Mordecai has done. We are meant to recognize that there is a greater spiritual enemy at work here. Satan's at work behind the scenes. God is at work behind the scenes in the book of Esther. Satan is also at work. And remember this, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan wanted the Jews eradicated because he knew at this point the Messiah would come through the tribe of Judah. It's very unlikely that Haman had any idea of those prophecies. I mean, it just wouldn't make sense that he did. But if Satan can eliminate Judah, then the promised seed of God is who would bruise Satan's head isn't going to be able to arrive as God had promised. So here in Esther, we find there's a spiritual problem. And spiritual problems require spiritual solutions. We cannot solve them in our flesh. And ultimately, this isn't Haman warring against the Jews, but this is Satan warring against God. 
And even though the Jews who chose to remain in exile in Persia are living outside of the will of God, God will overrule Satan in his providence. God is so far ahead of Satan that the plans that Satan has that he thinks will bring victory actually lead to his defeat. Now, God's going to do this not because the Jews deserve it, but God will intervene because He keeps His word. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with David that Christ would one day arrive and our God will not lie. In fact, He cannot lie. I'm in the book of Micah. All right, let's try this again. Let's go to Esther chapter 3. I'll read verses 5 through 15. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had shown him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. In the first month, that is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is the lot, before Haman from day to day and from month to month, to the twelfth month, that is the month Adar. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay ten thousand talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business, to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors, that were over every province, and to the rulers of every people of every province, according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, in the name of King Ahasuerus was it written, and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause, to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. The copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people, that they should be ready against that day. The post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan, the palace. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city Shushan was perplexed. We left off with Haman full of wrath, over Mordecai's refusal to bow and reverence him. And Haman doesn't just want Mordecai dead. He wants all the Jews dead. So as the superstitious pagan cultures would do in that day, and maybe even today in some areas of our world, they consult with the soothsayers, the witches, the wizards, the diviners, whatever you want to call these folks. They go in and they figure out What is the best time for me to execute my plan? And so they cast the lot here to find out what's the lucky day that they can uh, eradicate the Jews. 
Now, this is something that God forbids His people to do. Amen. Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14, when thou art come into the land which, thy Lord, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. Because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearken unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do. And so God doesn't want His children messing with psychics, palm readers, Ouija boards, tarot cards, horoscopes, witches, wizards, or necromancers. All of these are an abomination. That's how God classifies it in His sight. No matter how funny it may seem or how innocent it may be at first. And I'm just cautioning you, if I were you, I'd stay away from it altogether. Why? God wants you to trust in Him alone. Trust in His Word. Well, Haman goes to whatever their version of Miss Cleo is. I don't know if you have to be around my age to appreciate that. Call me now. All right. Haman goes to whatever their version of Miss Cleo is to cast a lot in the first month, the month Nisan. <laughs> I'm not going there. Either. In the original Hebrew calendar, this was known as the month Abib. And if this rings a bell, it's because this was the month that God brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. That would be around our March-April time frame. And it's now the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus' reign. Uh, The account of Esther, remember it begins in the third year of his reign, in chapter 1. Esther was chosen as queen in in the tenth month of the seventh year of his reign. It's now the twelfth year of his reign. So if I did my math correctly, we are now four years and two months removed from when Esther has been selected as the queen. And we read that they cast the lot before Haman from day to day and from month to month. This simply means that they were casting the lot to find out what month and what day that they were going to execute this plan. And and we see that it falls on the month Adar. That would be around our February and March. And so in in verse 13, we're given the day that the lot fell on. And it fell upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar. And in verse 12, Haman has the scribes write his decree for the Jews' annihilation on the 13th day of the first month. So Haman believes my lucky day is 11 months away exactly. Which, in hindsight now, we can understand how God's providence is at work. I mean, isn't it great that He gave him 11 months to try to prepare and figure something out, so to speak? I mean, it could have been the next day. And so, we, we had this 11th month period. Now Mordecai and Esther have enough time to, to work through this. And, and we'll see that as we go. But as, as we move on to, to... And let me just say this... Um, 
you talk about a Debbie Downer. I mean, he issues this decree on the day before the Passover. Well, verse 8. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. We might say more about this in another message. But isn't it interesting how Haman goes before King Ahasuerus after verse 7? Are you catching what Haman did here? He, he, he comes up with this evil plan. He cast the lot, got the lucky day, and then he goes before the king. He never consulted with the king ahead of time. And by way of application, God's children can be guilty of doing the same thing. We make our plans. We get everything figured out. And then we go before our king and we say, now I need you to bless this plan that I've come up with. We try to convince him that we have the best plan. We figure out the pros and cons. That's like me and Adrian's number one thing to do. All right, let's figure out the pros and cons. We, we figure out what looks best and then we want our king to get on board. You see, God, I took the liberty of prearranging everything for you so you can see how this really would be the best thing for me and my family. And of course, God's sitting up there going, wow, you know what? That is the best thing. I I never would have thought of that. Thank you. We'll go with your plan. (laughs) No. Listen, God knows what's best for us. Just learn to trust Him. Learn to wait upon Him. We need to uh, uh, allow Him to do the planning, the executing of our life. Because we will mess it up. And believe me when I tell you, He will do a better job of running your life than you will. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now, I'm trying to take verse 8 and all these phrases in order, so if this message seems a little choppy, I apologize. But we we see next, there's no way Haman could have known if every single Jew out of 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia were living in disobedience to the king's laws or not. There's no way to know that. But in his anger, he lumps all Jews together And he says, there's a certain people that are scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And and first, I just want to highlight here that Judah, the house of Judah, is scattered and they are dispersed among these people because this is exactly what God forewarned would happen to them. If they didn't get their hearts together, if they didn't repent if they didn't start walking with God and following His requirements, God said, I will spew thee out of the land and I will scatter you abroad. We know He already did that with the house of Israel. The Assyrians came in and sowed them among the nations. And now here's the house of Judah 
taken captive by the Babylonians. The Persians take over the Babylonians. And while they should have returned to the land at Cyrus's command, they are staying, most of them are staying put in Persia. Leviticus 26.33 says, And I will scatter you among the heathen, and will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. Deuteronomy 4.27, And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. Jeremiah 50.17, Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First, the king of Assyria hath devoured him, and last, this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, hath broken his bones. God did exactly what He said He would do if they refused Him. And since they are now scattered, and they are dispersed throughout this empire, God has now honored His Word. We know they did not repent. It amazes me. God lays out very clearly, this is the way of blessing. This is the way of being cursed. The choice is yours. And it's like we don't believe God. And so they just continued on for about another 125 years after their sister Israel had been scattered. They just kept on, well, it's not going to happen to me. Well, it did happen. God did come in and, and He did do exactly what he said. And again, we see this. One generation can affect another generation. Those who were born in Babylonian captivity had no say in the matter. Those who are born in the, in the Persian exile, they had no say in the matter. And so how we live our life matters. They're now feeling the effects of the sinful decisions of those before them. So we must take heed how we live our life. Now, I've preached this previously. I'm going to not labor here, even though I like to re-preach things. Let's move on. By them being scattered and dispersed, we see what a sad state that those who chose to stay in Persia were in. They were essentially choosing to stay under the judgment of God. Hey, God said you can return. Go back. Build the city. Build the temple. And yet here they are choosing to stay in, under God's judgment. That blows my mind. They didn't have to. Can I tell you tonight, you don't have to stay under God's judgment. Amen. Whoop! Amen. We read in Matthew 9.36, But when He, Jesus, saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So these people here, they're not only shepherdless people, but they are confused and they are fearful people living among pagans because Jesus said in Matthew 26, 31, quoting Zechariah 13, 7, Smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. And when Jesus was betrayed, His disciples forsook Him and fled in fear. They were confused. And this also shows that this was a people living apart from God and without God. Jesus said in John 16, 32, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. 
hey, Jesus didn't say, I'll leave you alone. He said, you'll leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, Jesus said, because the Father is with me. So here's the people, they are scattered, they are dispersed, they are shepherdless, they are confused, they are fearful, and why shouldn't they be? They are willingly choosing to live apart from God. Therefore, their only hope is going to be for God's providence to overrule their lack of obedience. Now, I'd like to draw your attention to Haman saying, there is a certain people. Remember, this all started with Haman's disdain for one Jew, Mordecai. And now he says there's a certain people. This action of one man has led to the hatred of all. But this is a, this is a common trait among people who are wrathful and vengeful and, and easily angered. They, they often will speak in terms of absolutes. You never. You always. It's no wonder we have children that are discouraged. And so a bad experience with one person leads to the mindset that all must be bad. They end up holding a grudge against all those that they've never met. We've seen this on a smaller scale. People get burned at church and now all churches are that way. Someone who says they are a Christian does them wrong and now all Christians are that way. There's dishonest politicians, so they all must be dishonest. There's a lawyer who files a frivolous lawsuit, so they all must be just hungry for money. There's a crooked police officer, and now all law enforcement officers are crooked and on and on. But the truth is, there are good churches. <laughs> listen, that's where you make me feel better about my life, and listen, you get excited about that. Hey, man, man, we love this church. There are good churches out there. There are well-meaning Christians. All right, get ready now. There's even good politicians. If that didn't kill you, there's even good lawyers out there. Good law enforcement officials, good bosses. There's good doctors. I mean, who knows? There might even be a few good cats out there. But you can't let one bad experience skew your view of the whole. Guilty. Amen. <laughs> Haman is of his father the devil, who is the father of lies. And in his hatred of one Jew's actions, he lies to the king about all the Jews. He lumps them all together in one basket. And we see how this kind of behavior quickly leads to racism. To Haman, if one Jew is bad, they're all bad. And don't think this kind of behavior can affect Christians. Because it's found among believers. When Jesus came on the scene, there was a great hatred on both sides of the Jews and the Samaritans. Remember in John chapter 4, when Jesus asked the woman at the well for a drink, she said to Jesus, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask his drink of me, who am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. I mean, there was a stark line drawn there. Well, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus 
it's getting closer to crucifixion time and he, he sets his face towards Jerusalem and his route's going to take him through Samaria, a village of the Samaritans, the Bible says to be specific. Jesus sends messengers ahead to the town to secure a place for him and his disciples to stay. But the Samaritans in that city, in their bigotry, wouldn't receive Jesus for this reason. He was heading to Jerusalem. I mean, this is ridiculous. And when the sons of thunder, James and John, they they caught wind of this. They say, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? I mean, in their disdain, even the followers of Christ were ready to destroy an entire village of Samaritans. And of course, Jesus, He rebukes them. Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Not all Samaritans were that way. Say, so how do you know that? Because of John chapter 4. The woman at the well comes to know Christ and she goes and tells the city and man, a bunch of Samaritans are believing in Christ. Not all Jews were bigoted either. But there were certainly those who allowed their opinions of, of some to shape their opinion of all. And that's how we get racism. Well, back to our text, we see Haman says, and their laws are diverse from all people. Now, it's interesting that Haman says to King Ahasuerus that the Jews' laws were diverse from all people because the Jews, while in Persia, they're not keeping all the law that God has prescribed. How can they? They don't have a temple. And they should have been back in Jerusalem rebuilding it. They're not making sacrifices. And so we see again how they are out of God's will. God wanted the children of Israel to be a unique group of people in order to show the heathen nations around them that there was a living God in heaven. In Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. In Deuteronomy 14.2, God says, I've chosen you as a peculiar people. Deuteronomy 26, uh, verses 18 and 19, He calls them a peculiar people. A holy people. God's design for Israel was to be peculiar, a holy nation, different from all people. He wanted Israel to contrast the difference between holy and unholy, clean and unclean. And so His laws were different from all the other nations. So what laws the Jews were keeping which causes Haman to make this statement if they were not in the land worshiping at the temple? I'm not 100% sure. And, and, how, and listen, how far did Mordecai get from God that Haman makes this statement in verse 8, but he never connects Mordecai to being a Jew until he confesses that he's a Jew? Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? I mean, if they have laws that are diverse married people, then why didn't he recognize that in Mordecai? Listen, this is how far away we can get from God in a hurry. Now, it could be that they were keeping the Sabbath. That, that kind of makes sense. It, it could be that um, they were holding to the dietary laws. 
It could be that some were even praying towards Jerusalem. That's something that Daniel did while in the captivity. Um, he, he opened his windows toward Jerusalem, kneeled upon his knees, and prayed. And next we see another lie from Haman. I've got to, I've got to hustle. When he says, neither keep they the king's laws. Now, there's no way Haman knows if they all keep his laws or not. Undoubtedly, many did keep the laws of Persia. In fact, just consider Mordecai when at the end of chapter 2, when he, come, he becomes aware of the plot to assassinate the king, he reveals the plot. I mean, there must have been some compliance there, at least to some degree, towards the laws of the land. And at the end of verse 8, we see what the scornful really think of God's people. Look at what it says. Therefore, it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them or to allow them to live. There are some wicked people in this world who genuinely believe that this nation and this world would be better off without those pesky Christians running around. Psalm 83, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. Jeremiah eleven nineteen. Let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof, and let us cast him off from the land of the living, that his name may be no more remembered. Acts 4, 16 and 17. I'll, I'll jump down to verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people, let us sh- uh, straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Acts twenty two twenty two. 22. Uh, Paul's got a ruckus on his hands. and the, Away with such a fellow from the earth. It is not fit that he should live. 1 Corinthians 4, 13. We are made as the filth of the world and the offscoring of all things unto this day. But listen, don't let this discourage you. Amen? This is how they treated our Lord. And our Lord said, if they treated me this way, they're going to treat you that way. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. But Jesus also said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Matthew 10, 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather... Fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So what are the takeaway? What is the takeaway from this verse? This is what I want to leave you with tonight. We're going to have to revisit this verse in the future. But I want you to see whatever it is that set them apart in Haman's mind, one thing for sure, Haman was noticing. Don't miss that. He saw them as set apart from all others, the Jews. And this should tell us people are watching our life. There are those that like to quote, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. As if somehow it's okay that we live any way we want. Because God sees the heart. No, God sees the outside as well. But while God sees the heart, Man can't see our heart. The only way for man to see if you're in Christ is by how you live. Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Titus 3.8 This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So let me ask you tonight, 
what are others seeing in your life? Do they conclude that you have put a difference between clean and unclean, holy and unholy? Do they see a difference? Or do they see someone who says they are a Christian, but then acts an entirely different way? Abimelech said to Isaac in Genesis 26-28, We certainly saw that the Lord was with thee. Did you get that? I know you're falling asleep. Let me say it again. It's okay. I, I get it. It's Wednesday night. I'm trying to be respectful. I know you work hard. We saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. Do you have that kind of testimony in the world? Can others look at you and say, man, he's got the Lord with him. 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. God says, I want you to come out, separate yourself. God says there's got to be a difference. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And so, may Rapid City see and the surrounding areas that the people of Liberty Baptist Tabernacle have God with them. That there's a difference. That they can see that there's a contrast. And they may not understand and how to put all that into words yet, but that's where we come along and we help them out. And make no mistake about it, they are watching. The very moment you announce your church, your faith, they're taking notes. I know this because I served 21 years in the military. And they're watching and they're listening. Some are waiting to catch you in a lie. Others want to see if it's genuine. So what do people see in your life? Let's pray.